What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What up, everybody? This is Double G for Fight Game Podcast Extra. I'm actually, by the time you're listening to this, I am in Tucson, Arizona, having celebrated my youngest son, Jonathan's graduation from the University of Arizona. Uh, So I didn't have necessarily a new interview or new podcast necessarily for you, but instead I thought it would be a great opportunity to shine a little bit of light on our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com front slash fight game media. And it's kind of funny, like with the Patreon, you're asking for subscriptions. And for us at fight game media, like we just love podcasting. So we just want to put out content, 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 but the Patreon does help. It helps me uh, give those podcasters a little bit of something, something. So if you enjoy what we do on Funky Media, if you have five bucks laying around, uh, you know, subscribe and check it out and, and, you know, send me some feedback. GG at FightGameMedia.com. You know, is there, you know, what, what is, what do we need on the Patreon for you to feel like, you know, you're in, you, it, would, it would make you interested in subscribing. Um, I go through, uh, I'm, I'm about to bring on my Fight Game Podcast co-host, John LaRocca, and we go through some more of like the, the shows that are on there, why you may be interested in subscribing, but really it's kind of like a, a nice little faith in us to, uh, that, that we're going to keep putting out good content and that 
you know, you 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 want to support us, and look, you support us by just listening to our shows, just by downloading them in your feed, the Fight Game Media free feed. Also, if you're on Apple, leave us a rating, a five star rating, and and some comments that. That is helpful for discovery when it comes to Apple. If the more ratings that we have, you know, it shows Apple that people are invested and we get in, into that algorithm a little bit more. Um, but okay, so what, what, why, what's this show about? So John LaRocca and I, uh, for once the Patreon started, we wanted to do a little bit of a history show and... The first year of the Patreon, we decided to go back and watch 1997 WWF. I hadn't seen all of those episodes because that was a time, you know, I'd have been 21 years old in in college, so I wasn't watching wrestling all the time. And But we wanted to go back through that time and go, you know, this is supposedly some of the best stuff WWE's ever done. And so we reviewed every episode of Raw for the entire year, and we decided, you know, let's go through the Austin era in 98 as well. So we did that in uh, 2022. And in 2023, we wanted to do it a little bit differently in that we, weren't, we aren't recording every week to recap what we are recapping now which is 1996 wcw and we're focusing on nitro and the pay-per-views we wanted to try a different model which is less shows so not a weekly just recap of nitro we wanted to wait until the pay-per-view so the first pay-per-view of the year is super brawl and then it's uncensored the next one we're going to recap is um slamboree so instead for every pay-per-view, we're going to then recap what is going on in WCW from the previous end of the previous pay-per-view through the next one. So we'll go through all the storylines, all the nitros, and just kind of covering the things that are interesting on, on those nitros. And really looking at, you know, big picture stuff, what was going on in the business at that time. I'm reading a, a bunch of different books at, at once, just trying to focus on these time frames. Obviously, The Observer is a great resource as well. So 96 WCW, that was, you know, if you think about it, 27 years ago. Uh, if you are interested in doing the rewatches with the Nitros and stuff, keep up with us. And if you are, and you want to come on and talk about some of this stuff, hit me up, gg at fightgamemedia.com. I, I want to do some shoulder programming in the Patreon as well, where I, you know, I, I, and, and the, what I'm going to play here in, in a second is part of that shoulder programming because one of the main ingredients of WCW 96, especially early on in the year, is Brian Pillman and, and that character that he was creating, um, for, for himself to try and get him, you know, a bigger and better contract. So, uh, Kyle O'Rourke, who wrote the book Crazy Like a Fox, which is like, the definitive story on Brian Pillman. Uh, he came on with me, and Kyle Ross also came on with me. Again, John and I will talk about this in the next segment, but um, that's the focus of, of this interview is I brought them both on and we're talking about Pillman. So what you're going to hear is you're going to hear me and John kind of updating where we are with WCW 96, some takeaways that that you know maybe we didn't remember some of the stuff that we maybe liked and uh now didn't like as much in the rewatch you know like i said 27 years later so here it is uh it is me and john LaRocca 
doing kind of a, a look back at what we've done so far for the Patreon show, and then my interview with Kyle and Liam, which was exclusively on the Patreon. But I just wanted to share it here because this is a great opportunity to get people to listen to kind of the stuff that we're doing with the show. And if you feel like it, then, you know, you can definitely subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com front slash fight game media. We'll be back next week, probably talking the Wembley show. I want to bring on my buddy Knowledge, who does a podcast in the UK. Uh, This podcast was the first time that I remember hearing Will Ospreay call out Kenny Omega. This was late last year, I believe, or sometime last year. And they had him on the show, and, and he kind of called. So we'll, Knowledge and I will talk about that. But I also want to just get the lay of the land with this London show. He was, I was talking to him uh, earlier this week, and he was saying how, like, this is just really big. The advertising is out there people who don't normally watch wrestling including his father are reaching out to him asking what the deal is with this so it feels you know really big and it may even be bigger uh over there so i'm gonna bring him on probably next week but if not next week then 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 soon enough but for now uh here is the episode with me and john laraca and then liam and and kyle and myself enjoy and have a great weekend All right, bringing in my podcast partner, my fake game podcast partner, John LaRocca. We're going to talk a little bit about our podcast project for the Patreon, in which we are doing the WCW 1996 full year uh, review, talking Nitros. We're not talking about the Saturday nights, but you know what? There's some really good matches on on the Saturday nights and some really weird matchups. Did this match ever happen? You tell me. Mm. Ric Flair against the Booty Man on WCW Saturday Night? I'm, I'm sure it did. Okay. I need to find this match. I have just this weird, like, intrigue to watch this match. Yeah. With the Booty I'm, Man. <laughs> giving him the Heine. You yeah. Know, like exactly. All that. Um, exactly. Yeah. So I always liked Flair wrestling, like, I remember I got a kick of seeing like Flair wrestle Eddie Guerrero. I think it's going to come up in one of the pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that, and, or maybe it was a Nitro. I think it was Nitro in like 95. Actually. I think when Ric Flair took a Huracurana, which is weird. I know it just, but I remember at the time like, oh my gosh, he, he did. You know, he, Cause he just never saw, see him. Take yeah. Yeah, like yeah, that, so. yeah. That way at least. Um, so we're in currently uh, the next show that we're going to do for, for our Patreon is going to be, the May nineteenth, nineteen ninety six Slamboree show, mm. and we, you know, we're, we're trying to stay in line with the pay per view shows, and so we're gonna try and record. Uh, it would be the n- n- not, not. Let's see, it would probably be the Monday after next week. So when this airs on Friday, we'll go following Friday, and then the Monday thereafter is when we'll try to to have that Patreon recorded, but. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, the first four months, three months and change, kind of where you and I are at with the TV. We got to catch up. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just stuck in uh, Warriors playoffs right now. Mm-hmm. But we got to see Super Brawl. Uh, and, and then we got to see uh, what was the, the last pay-per-view that we just watched? Uncensored. Uncensored. So is is your rewatch, <laughs> is it? 
similar to how you remember it or is it different? And if it is different, in, in what ways is it different? In some ways similar, but some ways different in that some of the matches I thought were good were not that good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like I bet you anything I thought Eddie Grover was Conan Uncensored was a great match because <laughs> he did moves. Yeah. But then when I rewatched it, I realized Conan was blown up and <laughs> Eddie Guerrero was pissed off because the match is sucking and, and the match was really bad, stuff like that. Or I didn't realize that uh, tag team match with Sting and Booker T versus the uh, Road Warriors was like just a 30 minutes of just, just what, they're sluggling it through? <laughs> like, yeah, you're just, yeah. You know, stuff like that, I don't, I don't remember. And uh, so that was interesting. To see. Why, why would Bischoff have wanted those guys to go 30 minutes i don't know you know they had a big big enough roster they could have filled time still but um it wasn't that many matches on that pay-per-view right most of the people were in that triple uh doom yeah. power of doom match oh thing my god but they have a bunch of people that could have filled the card and uh, i used to, i mean i know like like i don't think i'm not one of those people that think every match needs to have a build to it I kind of still dig like these random matches that WCW would throw on their pay per view, like like there'd be like a freaking Crush and or Ad Brian Adams and Scott Norton versus whoever two baby faces or something mm -hmm. like that. Like why is this on the Starcade '98? You know, yeah. but like but then I get a kick out of that stuff like that. But um, you know, so he could have done that with this pay that pay per view and give poor Sting and. And Booker T and Road Warriors a little less time because that was a long match. And you could see those guys were just like, what the hell do we fucking do next, man? You know? Yeah. I think for me, and this is about the time and place uh, more than anything else, the cliffhanger TV, it's kind. they kind of do it way too much where they mm -hmm. leave you off the air with something crazy happening and you're like, have to wait until next week. I know why they did it and it worked, right? Because you were really intrigued as to what was going to happen. But when you're doing the rewatch, you're like, man, you go to this thing so often where the chaos happens in the last 30 seconds of the show. Uh, lots and lots and lots of Hulk Hogan doing mm -hmm. wrestling. Um, not the, not the same way that you would have fallen in love with Hogan in, in the eighties in that you rarely saw him wrestle. You'd see him cut a promo, you know, every four weeks to build to something. And then yeah. he would wrestle on pay-per-views or he'd wrestle on house shows and he would rarely ever wrestle on TV. I remember one time this would have had to been like, probably like 87 or something. It was a superstars of wrestling and Hogan, is facing cowboy Bob Orton and superstars of wrestling. Mm -hmm. And my dad turns to me and he goes, cause I, I, he, my dad never really let me believe that this stuff was real in any way. Like he's like, me too. Ah, like, you know, I, I, I know this and you'll be better off knowing that, that, that it's this so that you won't get your heart broken. <laughs> um, and, uh, he, he, he turns to me and he goes, you know, I heard they, they may, they, they may have Bob Orton win in this match. And I was like, what? No way. <laughs> no way. Where'd you hear that? <laughs> and obviously I, Hogan wins, but he would, he would screw with me like that sometimes. I thought he was going to say angle alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was, was he wasn't that. that into it. Like as far as like knowing the yeah, terminology, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. he know, he just knows that when he saw, uh, 
either Ray Stevens or Pat Patterson or maybe both jump off the ladder onto mm-hmm. uh, Pepper Gomez's neck because Pepper was trusting them to jump on his stomach. He just thought that was, he's like, no, Pepper, you can't be that dumb. And that's what, what, why he stopped watching because <laughs> his guy was too stupid. And then you get me over here that hasn't pulled the curtain back for my kids yet. <laughs> and I still have not told him that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker. Is oh man. Luckily they're young to just, they're mostly would watch the current stuff. They're not, they, they like Darth Vader, but they you know they don't know. And I'm like I keep telling everyone, don't say anything. Like my in-laws and people over coming, don't say anything, because one day when they're they're gonna want to really sit down and watch it, I hope they get that genuine surprise. Because you know, when we were kids, remember when that happened? Holy shit! Oh yeah, I did see the Return of the Jedi when they were yeah. back in theaters a couple weeks ago. How was that? <sighs> it, it's the magic is still there, man. The magic mm-hmm. on the big screen, it's still there. I actually yeah. liked watching it on the big screen because, you know, when I watch, when I, if I rewatch Star Wars stuff at home, I know the story so well that I'm not fully like 100% paying attention. I might be doing something else at the same time. Just, you know, I know when to look up at my favorite parts. But when you're in the movie theater, you know, it's like I'm re, I'm, I'm watching it and I'm like trying to make, make sure that I, you know, w- what's one thing that, you know, maybe I'm, I wasn't focusing on. Now I want to focus on this thing and see, you know, what this mm-hmm. person is doing. So I was watching it like that, but it, it was awesome. It was, it, was, uh, it was so fun. I know this is probably not the most riveting podcasting, but <laughs> you want to go see Guardians of the Galaxy? Rubio says he's, he's superheroed out right now. So he's. Well, we'll see. If I. Okay. I, I right. uh, so as people are listening to this, uh, I'm already in, in Arizona. And at this point, I may be seeing Guardians of the Galaxy with Brian, but, uh, okay. no, but cool. we, are, uh, we, we are kind of short on time because Crystal and I are only going to be out in, in Arizona for uh, a couple of days. So if we don't, <clears throat> if we don't get to go, uh, Brian and I don't get to go, then definitely I want to see it because I, I, heard, I heard it's really good. So Yeah, oh, yeah. I just want to see it in the theater. I still haven't seen Ant-Man. And... <laughs> oh, well, that's coming on streaming anyways sometime soon, I believe. So, And it's a, it, it's like a B-. It's, I know. It's, I know. It, it's not fantastic. I've but... heard. Uh, okay, so back to WCW. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the... Uh, I guess I guess the thing that... In the in this rewatch, and you know, back in '96, I wasn't watching every single week because I'm, uh, you know, I'm a, a sophomore or junior in college at this point, so you know, I'm pretty busy uh, on on stuff and not always watching wrestling on Monday. But the Macho Man Flair stuff, where Macho Man not only uh, like brings Elizabeth, turns Elizabeth heel. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but he's got woman, he's got Elizabeth and it's almost like they are stripping macho man down to nothing. Uh, and, and I'm really intrigued about where they like, how much more can you take from this man? And the crowd is so behind macho man. Like they want to see macho man kill Ric Flair, which is, you know, in 96, like. I just always assume that, you know, everyone treated Ric Flair like a baby face, you know, past the, the cause, you know, when I when I saw him in WWF and I was cheering for him to win everything and I'm a Hogan guy, yeah. I just figured that that's just what you did with Rick. But in 96, he's actually getting real heat against the with the Macho Man. 
Yeah, that, that feud was Macho Man and Flair did business for WCW. And Macho was such a God, he was so good. And I think what a pickup for WCW because, you know, he also helped make DDP. Yeah. Right. So he just understood wrestling and it understood the business and, and who to help next. Like, you know, he, I, mean, I know he was selfish in his own ways, right? Cause all main stars are in wrestling, but he knew when to give it back. And he, I think he had a really good eye of who to give it back to. So, uh, some of the other stuff I would say, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm still mesmerized by the Brian Pillman stuff, mm-hmm. especially watching it back in hindsight and reading Liam O'Rourke's book again, reading back through those observers and what Dave knew and what he was sort of unsure about and how Wade Keller's kind of like a half a step ahead of him when it comes to this stuff. And as we learn, it's it's all because of Kim Woods is like, we got to keep, Mel- you know, we can't tell Meltzer. And then he's like, now we got to tell Meltzer because, you know, it's just he's, you know, he's going to figure it out. And we, we, we need to keep him uh, in the loop on this stuff. So that stuff is fantastic. Um, I, I, I'm sure. I was a, a giant fan uh, of the Hogan and, and Booty Man reteaming because I was such a Hogan and Beefcake guy in like 1989. <laughs> but man, this Booty Man uh, character is so bad. Now I was the same as you. 89 <laughs> was probably one of my favorite years of wrestling, and but I could not stand the Booty Man. Yeah, I, I just oh, it was so. It was so bad, and he was uh, on it a lot. Like, I prefer the Renegade, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> he's just give me, give me Renegade. <clears throat> they can't just call him Brother Brudeye? I know, I know. The booty man. Booty man. Well, I mean, he and Kim, you know, she's the booty babe, so he, I guess he was the booty man. Uh, yeah, you know, I think I think there's a little bit of a... I have a Hogan babyface fatigue, of course, which is eventually... Uh, mm-hmm. Where everybody gets, and you know, people, you you're, you're watching the 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 nitros, and he's you know he's not getting the biggest cheers in the crowd that you could tell, but you know the TV audience was still watching him, so that yeah. there's a little bit of a disconnect between the live audience and the TV audience. But Flair is still great. Watching the young giant is is super interesting, and then the the one the one of the nitros that I'm watching. He he just comes in the ring and Hogan just body slams him. I'm like, dude, like, <laughs> oh god. And, and I know a character near and dear to your heart, Lex Luger. This dude is off the cuff in 1996. He's just oh, so over the top. Yeah, in his character, love I was, him. I'm watching a match with him and Rick on a. It's, it's an April Nitro. And you know how he would always scream when like he he's like he's not taking the arm ringer, he's giving the arm ringer and he's still screaming every time mm. he wrenches the arm. He was like doing it 2 and 3x in this match. I was like, "What is like is this what is this guy high? What is going on? Like someone needs to slow him down." Our buddy Dave Jucha hates Lex Luger cuz he does the way he sells like yeah. that. Yeah. Or you know, even yeah, he's always just very verbal out there, I guess. But I yeah, I, but I love him. You know, always going to support Big Lex. So, all right. So, what I'm going to play here in uh, in this next segment is 
an interview. I mentioned Brian Pillman. I didn't want to talk too much about Brian because we're going to play an interview here that we originally recorded for the Patreon, but I'm going to play it here because it's a the you know when you get to talk to an author of a book one that's that's awesome. Liam O'Rourke is such a wrestling fan. Uh, he and my buddy Kyle Ross, who I think Kyle Ross is like maybe the most underrated guy who who does this stuff from a personality standpoint. And, you know, he does, he can't do it as much as he, he probably wants because he's got the day job going and stuff. And, you know, he's from Top Rope Nation. Um, I, I really appre- I really love Kyle's stuff. So they also have a podcast, which I think we mentioned in, in the episode. But it's me. It's Liam. It's Kyle. We're talking Pillman. We're talking Pillman trying to work people and trying to work with Bischoff. We kind of even compare it to when I was at Double or Nothing last year, and I was kind of getting frustrated because, like, I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this thing, man. I don't, I, I don't want to be a part of the MJF and Tony Khan work. Like, I, like, I kind of want out. Like, I don't <laughs> want to be bothered with this stuff. I don't want to be co-opted here. And so we talk about that as well, a little bit of the my frustration, and then we kind of compare it to to the Pillman thing. But this interview originally. On the Patreon, the Patreon, um, you know, I, it, it's it's kind of our project. It's 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 where we put a lot of content. The Dynamite Show with Paul Fontaine and Jeff Hawkins, which goes up after AEW Dynamite, so you get that instant reaction. Uh, Scott Edwards, he does the Joshi Show, the Five Star Joshi Show, which is like if you are getting into Joshi, Scott is your guy because. He loves all wrestling, like he loves AEW. He watches WWE, but Joshi's kind of like his his, his like his favorite. So he's such a passion for it, and uh, he he does a show once a week for the Patreon as as well. And then John and I do our WCW history show, and then we have bonus shows. Uh, the newly uh, the newly branded Mike and JD show. They used to do Brace for Impact. Now they're doing more of an overall wrestling show called the Mike and JD show. They just recorded a bonus show for the Patreon because uh, the Kenny Omega and Don Callis angle that just happened on uh, Dynamite this week. JD actually interviewed Don Callis for an article that he wrote for Fight Game Media like two or three years ago. So they kind of go through that article and, and just the interview and sort of how to put that together. And, and so that's going to be a bonus show on the Patreon. So check it out, patreon.com front slash Fight Game Media. Robert Silva is also doing his series on uh, Muhammad Ali, The Life and Times. And I do stuff on the Patreon a lot. It's, you know, recap shows and stuff that we kind of live stream to YouTube, but we put on we put the audio up for people who want to listen to it. So lots of good stuff on the Patreon, but... I, I want people to check out this WCW 96 stuff that John and I are doing. We reviewed the very first Nitro, and then we we, we went through the first two pay-per-views of the calendar year. This will be our third pay-per-view for the calendar year. And then this bonus show that we did with Liam. I, I want to do more of these bonus shows because there's so much content out there as far as uh, this era, right? You got the Brian yeah. Alvarez book, uh, Death of WCW. There's the the Guy Evans book. I think it's just called Nitro. I think his name is Guy Evans. I, if I screwed that up, I apologize. Um, and so, you know, there's lots of content. And so I'm hoping to reach out to more people like I did to Liam. And we're going to put that up on the Patreon as well. So 
Uh, thanks, John, for coming in and hanging out after, you know, we, we just recorded yesterday for our uh, fight game podcast on F4W. So back to back shows with, with me and John. But uh, check out the interview with Kyle and Liam. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refunds. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we want to welcome author of Crazy Like a Fox, the Brian Pillman story, uh, Liam O'Rourke, who I had the opportunity to meet in Las Vegas. I believe it was StarCast, right? It was indeed. It was shortly after the StarCast show uh, that me and Dave and Kevin Silver and Mark Madden and, uh, and Brian Jr. did. And so coming off the stage, you were very nice to uh, introduce yourself to me. And then I put two and two together real quick that you're Garrett Gonzalez. I've heard your voice before. <laughs> I know you. I know this voice. I like this voice. And uh, and yeah, we we, uh, we had a lovely conversation that day. And it's great to talk to you again. No, this is this is awesome. And then, of course, someone who has been on this show before, or not this exact show, but uh, in the network, the boss, Kyle Ross. What's up, man? Garrett, first time, long time, man. It's great to be back. Yeah, so I feel it's been a minute. I, I we haven't talked so long because you've been locked out of Facebook. I know Facebook doesn't like me. <laughs> so like you know we've had been having all these great conversations you know uh, in the Facebook group for my podcast Top Rope Nation and you, you've been absent and and, and you've been so missed. Yeah, the dis- the Discord thing has been really fun, but it has also been we've also had to weather the storm a bit because what people do in Discord is. You know, they, they they find lurkers to kind of go and hang out in the Discord and, and figure out if you're talking about somebody. And then if they do see that you're talking about somebody, they take a screenshot and then send it to that person. Uh, so and I then it goes, <laughs> it goes wild all over Twitter. And somehow, like, the, the best one was um, somehow I dislike Tony Khan because I pulled myself out of the voting for the the observer awards just because i i know some of these people and i just feel like sort of biased if i like in in trying to figure out who i'm going to vote for and i'd mentioned that yeah you know like last year at double or nothing i was super frustrated because like tony khan was uh he he was working on this mjf stuff and we were supposed to get an interview and then he just kept delaying it and delaying it and Dave decided to not go to see the Eagles just to keep this time open to to possibly get uh, this interview. And I was like, dude, like, let's just forget about it. He's busy. Like, but he just kept saying, oh, no, 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 we'll, we'll do it. And, and this is not a shot at him. Like, he was really, really busy. And I'm sure he wanted to do the interview. But I mentioned, I said, that 
that kind of makes that weekend like not my favorite weekend because we kind of wasted this whole day. And I would never want to hold that personal experience against a vote uh, of an award. And so yeah. somehow that got turned into, I hate Tony Khan because he didn't give us an interview. And I'm like, so whatever. <laughs> like that, that, that stuff. I'm, I'm happy to not be on Facebook for different reasons, but then you deal with yeah, you... these, these discord yeah. uh, scenarios that, that, that get out there. And then you just go, gosh, people are really, really, not only are they dumb, but they're also in such bad faith when it comes to this. Stuff. Oh, so, yeah. um, that wouldn't have happened right. if you were on Facebook. I just asked you questions <laughs> of things that happened 30 years ago and nobody cares about. So, there you go. so uh, I, I talked to uh, on our last WCW 96 Patreon show. I talked to John. And I said, you know what? I know Liam. I'm using this book for a lot of the Brian Pillman stuff that we're talking about. I, I would love to reach out to him and talk to him. And I was like, you know what? Kyle and Liam do a show. I'm going to reach out to Kyle and let's get both of them on here. And it worked. It happened. So I'm very thankful to both of you. We're going to focus specifically on the Pillman stuff because I want to get Liam's recollection, the research, and also Kyle's memory because, you know, Kyle is a, is, is a wrestling historian uh, and he just watched a lot of this stuff recently. So the first the first thing that I wanted to talk about was – when do you think the when when do you think Pillman and Bischoff were sort of on the same page about creating this character? Was it like right away? Was it like Pillman going, Pillman and Kim Woods going like, okay, we have this idea and let's get Bischoff in on it? Or was there a time where maybe Pillman was doing stuff that Bischoff didn't really get until they brought him in? Like how long of a time frame do you think that was? I think that you can kind of noticeably see when you watch the television through from the end of 95 to 96, there was a noticeable jump, I'd say, around mid-December. Um, and it's actually right around the time of the Stu Hart tribute show when he meets Terry Funk, which is a, a, a part of this evolution. Um, I believe that Brian... It wasn't necessarily that Brian... Brian was trying things anyway. When the, when he joins the horseman, you see kind of he's trying to kind of mix things up and he's trying to find the next evolution of himself anyway. He knows he has to be something else. Um, but it, it doesn't really evolve much beyond that until we get to around, honestly, December. And I feel like, again, there were things going on in Brian's personal life too with the death of Rochelle that kind of sped up certain things happening in terms of him being worried about his his own uh, mortality and i think that he was very conscious of that so i feel like he had the discussions with kim wood and we see it around mid-december right around the time of the angle they do with paul Laundorf, where he mm -hmm. gets pile driven on the concrete and he just absolutely it's just it's it's not just brian being a little bit extra wacky in his own kind of little bubble that he's in um you know he doesn't match with eddie guerrero on nitro near the end of 95 where he just jobs clean and and he's kind of trying to be a little bit more eccentric, but there's nothing. It's not that much. It's it's not. It doesn't feel like it's a fully formed idea. By mid December, he's had the conversation with Kim, and it come becomes very obvious to me that like okay, there's a conscious effort to emphasize that what Brian's doing is not what we want. You know, the spitting on the camera at Starcade and stuff like that. Just these little bits and pieces that you see where it's like it's starting to come through, and then as soon as the new year hits, it's almost like okay, we're right there, we're right away. And what's interesting is as I'm sure you've covered uh, in, in terms of 1996 in January, that first show on New Year's Day, I think it is, mm -hmm. when 
Brian is like doing the big promo with Arn and Benoit, and he's kind of lambasting them, talking about how you know, yeah, yeah, sure, Benoit, you perform well with women, you know, in the, you know naked women in the limousine, but out <laughs> yes. here you're not doing too great. <laughs> oh, that's it. We're zero two with Austin, you know, and he's doing this thing, and Meltzer's reporting of it is very interesting because he says, you know, Brian only says one thing that almost got him fired this week, which to me I interpret as okay, so. That doesn't just happen out of thin air. This is something that Dave's probably been hearing for a few weeks, probably right. dating back to again, mid-December time, where you see that noticeable shift in. It's not just Brian being a little eccentric. It's the way that everybody else is talking about Brian, and that has to be a Bischoff directive. Kyle, when you were watching this back then, did you, because as, as a, a younger wrestling fan, we are sort of, we're kind of like, in anything that's, not happening for the script or any inside information, at least for me at that point, it was just like, this is gold. I can't, I need to learn more about this. I can't wait to read more about this. Like, do you remember this Pillman thing as you were watching live uh, uh, back then? So funnily enough, Garrett, <clears throat> when I first was getting into like the AOL chat rooms and we were having, and, and like the, the online discourse there. I love it when it goes to AOL yeah. chat rooms. and <laughs> chat rooms. I, will, so, so I, will, I will never forget the first two things I saw the first time I ever logged into one of those chat rooms. It was Hall and Nash are leaving for WCW. And oh my God, did you just see what Brian Pillman did in ECW? Last night, it was right after the the Cyber Slam show, which uh-huh, comes right uh-huh. after Super Brawl in the WCW right, timeline. Right. And I was like, "What's and like?" I remember like you know, it just opened up a whole new world of my wrestling fandom when all of a sudden you're just like getting because I, I wasn't reading the Observer yet at that point, so I, I like just getting these inner machinations. I, mean, I remember feeling so cool when I knew Hall and Nash <laughs> were going to show up in WCW, <laughs> but like with Pillman, yeah, I was like, "Oh, but this is and like it just made it was one of the first things I remember." wanting more, wanting to know more than what I was seeing on television, what was right. really going on. So that's what I remember from this time period. It really did hook me, and it was by far the most interesting thing on WCW television in early 96. I mean, it was so much more than, like, Hogan's ego, just, <laughs> you know, completely burning copies of The Observer in late <laughs> 95, trying to, beat eight, trying to beat eight people on one pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's it's funny, like, whenever you bring this Pillman um, stuff up from early 96. I always think of that AOL chat room and just right. like, like inversing that way. No, it's, it's great. Cause Pillman also utilized those channels, right. To re- to talk to fans mm-hmm. and to just kind of hang out and, and, you know, portray who, whatever he wanted to portray and also did it on, on radio and, and broadcasting and stuff. So I, I get the sense that, Wade Keller is sniffing work pretty early. And I also get the sense that Dave is sniffing work, but he's also getting information that is saying not work. So he's kind of covering his steps in the observer. But when you go and watch it back, Bischoff will say stuff like, oh, this guy, you know, he's one more time and he may not have a job. (laughs) And he's saying stuff like that. So when you look back, you're like, okay, that's got to be part of part of the work but at the time you know i don't i don't know if you know what people were thinking at that time why do you think wade was so was so confident in in reporting that or at least voicing his opinion because it was pretty clear even going through super bowl like dave was still kind of just covering himself just in case 
Yeah, so this is kind of a this kind of a two pronged thing, I think. So number one, it's worth mentioning to people who are not actually familiar with the time or were not actually watching at the time, which is kind of a key thing here. This hadn't been done before, so the nature of now you could throw like a little something subtle in there and the people who are more eagle-eyed will pick up on it a lot quicker whereas it's going to be a lot more obvious because they're clumsy in how they execute it in a way because they're so, <laughs> they're so unpracticed at it so when right when eric bischoff is on the air saying yeah don't be surprised if you don't see brian pillman in wcw much longer it's it kind of it's also kind of in keeping with bischoff throwing shots at the wwf all the time and kind of being this borderline acknowledging real life type of situation that eric is doing the other thing when it comes to the wade versus dave thing is that dave obviously was very close to brian right and i think that dave having been used to talking to brian about stuff that was going on this was a period of time where kim wood told brian do not call dave do not talk to dave no matter what you do because if you you can and is in kim wood's words Everybody else, you can lie to him. Fuck him. Who cares? But <laughs> do not lie to Dave because he will take it. He will not interpret it as anything other than a slight. So he stayed away from talking to Dave. So Dave is hearing what's what WCW is telling him, which is obviously the version WCW wants out there. Right. And his spider sense is probably like, yeah, this is, mm, you know, he he kind of knows, but he also because he hasn't spoken to Brian to get his read on it, he also doesn't want to. You know, he doesn't want to commit to it because what if he's wrong? And right. and and in fairness to Dave, he could have been wrong. Whereas Wade, who's looking at this far more like a knowledgeable fan, right, is reacting the way that you are <laughs> when you hey. talk about it now, where you're just like, why is Eric Bischoff saying on the air that Brian <laughs> right. not going to be around much? Like, if he was going to be around much longer, surely he wouldn't be around much longer. But again, Dave's hearing the talk, he's hearing the static that this is all creating. Because again, while some of the static that Dave is hearing is obviously um you know manufactured between bischoff and eventually sullivan and pillman right there's a lot of pillman's behavior was going on away from what bischoff was doing so it's not just eric and people who are feeding dave dave's hearing it from the other guys too the other wrestlers i'm sure saying yeah this brian's brian's seen some weird stuff and and so he's probably just trying to kind of get a read on it because he's, he's hearing so many conflicting things you know so and, and the other part about this that i find fascinating and, and kyle brought up this guy's name the ultimate worker of all workers, Hulk Hogan, is not does not, I mean maybe he's not paying attention to Pillman because Pillman is not in the main event scene here, right? It's like <laughs> his focus is Savage and Dungeon of Doom and uh Ric Flair and all that. So maybe Pillman is like, oh yeah, the, that quirky Brian, like what is he doing over there? But Kyle, do you find it interesting that you have Hogan, you have sharks in the water, Hogan, Savage, Flair. And they're not even really keen to to what's going on. You're probably onto something that it was just below Hogan's radar at that time when Brian was first doing it. Now, it wasn't after Super Brawl when Hogan right. requests Pillman come back and do the job and uncensored because then he gets he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to beat this guy. Uh, so he eventually did catch on. You know, th there's a couple things I wanted to go back to, like in the previous conversation you guys were having, you know, about who was maybe keen that this could be a work even sure. the the disco inferno i mean I, yeah, i'll take the heat off you garrett and, I, and, and I'll, I'll i'll slam somebody okay <laughs> not exactly the sharpest mind okay in wrestling the glenn gilberti liam correct me if i'm wrong like at super brawl when pillman had like his after the uh, i respect you booker man thing, he goes backstage and and did something in front of the boys wasn't it disco who yelled i think this is a work 
Yeah, I think they were. I mean, it's like, oh my god, they're working the boys. And at the yeah. time, it's because like, yeah, the way wrestlers are, they're paranoid about everything. They think the yeah. you know, some some of these guys think the NFLs will work and stuff like that. So yeah. like, they're, 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 they go <laughs> <laughs> they go overboard with that kind of you know oh you know it's ridiculous. But because of that, there were people who probably listened to him and thought, oh maybe. And then people probably just think, well, he's just a dissenting voice, or whatever. But Disco had the opinion, and he actually talked about it with Brian Alvarez once on FOW, where he actually just said. I knew Brian enough to where he would like, we would have these phone conversations forever. He would call me up at like one in the morning and act like, I'm so annoyed about this disco, (laughs) this booty man, he's stealing your gimmick. And like, he's like, he's he's telling disco how he needs to go to Hogan to propose an angle with the booty man. And like, he's just like, all of this ridiculous behavior. And disco's just like, I know that anything that Brian is doing has been the result of so many phone conversations and analysis and research this is not an accident. Nothing that we're seeing is an accident with Brian because I just know this guy and I know that he's he's thinking at this at a deeper level that everybody else is. So he just kind of throws it out there and probably gets disregarded. But as it turns out, yeah, he's right. <laughs> it's a work. Well, and, and here's the other thing I want to throw back at you guys because Garrett actually started by asking, you know, about Pillman and Bischoff being on the same page. Mm-hmm. They clearly were on the same page somewhat because as you guys were talking about, Bischoff, I was going to bring that up. Bischoff's making those comments. Don't be surprised if he's not on WCW TV much longer. But Liam, do you feel that while, okay, Bischoff was cognizant of what Pillman was trying to do, he was always one step behind the entire way? Oh, of course he was. Because okay. the entire the entire, the entire entire thing with this, Kim, Kim Wood was the architect, even though a lot of it was Brian, but Kim Wood really was an architect in the sense of like, not to go too much down the beaten path here, but the idea that like okay your contract's coming up you want more money how are we going to do it we're gonna have to do something unconventional because they're never going to give you a chance to prove you're worth more right why would they especially when your contract's coming up so the whole point was okay look at what bischoff's doing look at look at eric and how far overboard to your point garrett before where he's you know he really wants it to be known that he's the one who's kind of you know, stirring the drink here in WCW and kind of shaking the industry up with 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 Nitro going up against Raw and some of the things he's doing. And the whole idea was get in tight with him, and together let him feel like you guys, you, you you and Bischoff are pulling this rib on the boys because he knew that Bischoff it was more important to Bischoff to be seen as the mastermind, the manipulator, the guy who wanted things to be kept a secret. And of course, the entire thing was, well, Brian, if you do that, you're going to get so much leeway and you can create so much talk and myth around yourself that oh by the way your contract's coming up in april and all of a sudden you're the highest guy in the business accidentally because again time and place is super important here that you know ecw was getting a lot of underground buzz we mentioned the internet and aol that's starting to kind of percolate that's kind of there it was never easier for kind of like real world wrestling stuff to kind of become knowledge or at least kind of amongst an underground of people, you know, your ECW being chanted at King of the Ring 95 and things like this are happening, which are kind of, again, against the grain. And it's like, okay, so with all of this going on, we can kind of manipulate the situation because again, as, as Kim said, I think he said this on Dark Side of the Ring as well. In many ways, wrestling runs on very artificial things because right. it's not Bischoff's company. So really Bischoff, it's attention, it's credit, it's plaudits. That's kind of so that he can go and say, look what we're doing. Of course, he wants to turn, you know, he wants a good bottom line as well. So he can report that back and everything like that, of course. But in terms of his own personal interest, his own personal interest is like, 
okay, being able to turn the books around, of course, but also the gratification of feeling like the boss. And his, Kim Wood's belief, and Brian's belief too, was that Eric was a mark for himself. And as right. a result, if, if he's a mark for himself, you are basically waving a red flag that you can be messed with because, <laughs> you, 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 hey, Eric, it's really important that people think you're special. Well, here's a way to really convince me you're special. Show everyone how much smarter you are than everybody else by pulling this trick on them with Brian Pillman, who has all these ideas, and it's going to be great. And all these people in the underground who you don't like that they know stuff, you're going to fool all of them. It's going to be great. Meanwhile, this underground of, of wrestling talk is all talking about how awesome Brian Pillman is, and it makes him feel like the hottest guy in the business at a time. And it's key to note, while the Moonlight War was picking up, and, and business in both companies did pick up at the start of 96, both companies are really still looking for the thing that's going to pull them ahead. So right. anything that gets that kind of talk going, it was like the perfect time to pull this play. But of course, Eric was indeed one step behind. Yeah, and don't forget, he let Brian go willingly. Yes. for his podcast one of the most incredible <laughs> things i mean think of th think of the, all the ground this covers uh, garrett i mean you know more than anybody how many wrestling podcasts there are out there yes i have never heard a more galling comment on any <laughs> wrestling podcast ever than when eric bishop comes he willingly let pillman sign with wwe shameful shameful yeah. <laughs> shameful amazing shameful uh, so so you 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 mentioned the name uh, of kim woods now for your book I imagine you and Kim talked for hours on hours about this because, I mean, I, I, I've done an interview with, with Kim before. And <laughs> that dude, that dude just, he was like, hey, I'll, I'll go forever if you want. Like, we don't even have to ever go to sleep. Like, and which when you're an interviewer, that's like the perfect guest. Now, you know, we all, I also have a day job, so I couldn't really sit there for four hours with him, but he was, he was mesmerizing his recollection his understanding of business and not even being a pro wrestler himself, but just understanding everything. What, what, what is your thought on, on Kim and, and how smart he was about this stuff? Oh, he's a genius. He's an absolute genius. You could talk to him all day. I loved talking to Kim Wood. He's such a smart guy on so many different subjects. And I did, I called him up and talked to him several, several times for several several hours i think the yeah. total i think i probably clocked in like 30 hours of discussions with him but like it was it was going over so many different things to do with brian to do with the business to do with stuff that was going on the, the, the mental aspect of of the kind of the dominance games and the manipulation that was going on in the business with between promoters and wrestlers and all of these aspects and yeah he was he was critical because he was also one of the very first people i spoke to as part of the process so having him say okay you need to know this and also the one thing i'll say about kim too his story has never, ever changed on any of this stuff. Like, I've listened to Kim talk about things from, like, 10, 15, 20 years ago regarding Brian, and it's never changed. And I always see that as a great sign of credibility for anybody. Yeah, As opposed to somebody absolutely. who can't remember anything mm -hmm. from that period of time, by the way. Again, because like, he's not trying to put it. himself over also. <laughs> like, you know, he's trying... Well, yeah. he's He's explaining the thing, but he doesn't really get anything out of it by making his part of the story bigger. Like it's the, like, so, you know, unlike, you know, Mr. Bischoff, who yeah. is trying to change the wrestling history yeah. with his podcast, yeah. you know, Kim's just like, this is what happened because we, we were just smarter than everybody else. So I, I don't need to, I don't need to make us make me look smarter. Like everyone knows I was just, I, I was ahead of the game. So that, that's the cool part about yeah. Kim. But did you guys, um, I'm sure you saw it. 
But Kim was also uh, all over dark side when, when they covered Brian. Kyle, did, what did you think about Kim when you saw him on, uh, on, you know, on that thing? Because just I thought he was brilliant on that thing, too. I'm glad you threw that to me like that. I didn't want to because I didn't want to pivot away from this conversation. I think and I'm interested to hear both your guys answers to this. The key with Kim Wood and his frankness is unlike virtually everyone else who has interviewed for these wrestling documentaries, Kim Wood doesn't care about what people <laughs> in these promotions think about him. He has his own life. His livelihood is not tied to the pro, the various professional. He doesn't have to eat from the Vince McMahon coffers, if you will. He he, no. he doesn't have to like toe a line. He can just say what he wants, and people within wrestling can be mad at him, and he doesn't care. He's going to go off his life, and I think that is so key. I'm assuming that's something Liam picked up on while interviewing him that he just doesn't he just doesn't care what people inside wrestling think. He was the closest to Brian during this period. So he's going to give you the unfiltered viewpoint. And that's what you get with Kim Wood. I, yeah, he was tremendous on those dark side of the rings. I mean, what was the famous quote that he had uh, about Vince that everyone, God, I can't think. What do you do with a whore? Yes. <laughs> yes what do you do with a whore? Yes, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, Which I yeah. think came from Arthur Jones. And Arthur Jones is a key part of the Kim Wood story. Because is that the, the book? uh nautilus no nautilus oh uh, okay oh yeah 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 yeah. arthur jones who like basically as as kim said to me i could tell you stuff about arthur jones that guy was a bad bad dude and after (laughs) being around that world and the world of bodybuilding and stuff like that and weightlifting he's like vince mcmahon and these wrestling characters are such low-level carnies that i just don't you know I, i don't i don't I'm not going to pander to them because I don't really respect their level of carnydom, you know? So, like, because of that, and again, he can just be, like you say, he has no stake in the game. He can just be as frank as he wants to be, and and he, he kind of sees it for what it is, which is over. Yeah, it was like the easiest person to con is the con man. Like, that was kind Absolutely. of his mentality, right? That's the, uh, again, so, that's, and that's an Arthur Jones line as well. Um, I want to read this to you guys. I, I can't remember if I got this from The Observer. This may be from Liam's book. It was either from The Observer or from Liam's book. I'm going to read it. I'll, I'll quickly read it. I just want your, Kyle, I just want your like instant reaction to, to what I'm about to read. Okay. Uh, at about midnight at the uh, Orlando Residence Inn, a woman was thrown out of her room naked in 20-degree weather While the guy in the room barricaded himself in the attack and the SWAT team had to come and tear gas him out, they had to evacuate all the rooms while this was going on, which included both WCW wrestlers and officials. Apparently, the scene was almost directly out of a bizarre movie with Pillman and Disco Inferno in character saying that the horsemen were there to save the day (laughs) and him having everyone so confused as what to make of him had people believing he was actually going to try and apprehend the guy himself, which he didn't do, although we've got reports that after the guy was apprehended that Pillman kept giving him the four-finger horseman signal. (laughs) And I think he even talked the cops into letting him take a, a picture with the guy as they they took him out okay instant reaction to to that like level of just ridiculousness nobody would go that far nobody would go that far today i feel because everyone's just accepted it's all nonsense and why even do that um maybe mjf i don't know if you saw the press conference yeah yeah, yeah, i mean maybe maybe but still i mean i don't know you you see the stuff that he did i mean even at double or nothing 
like when like he was convinced. Okay, he was gonna we're going to get to that. I, I'm okay. glad you brought that up. We're okay. going to get to that. But but I, I don't thought Pillman what he was doing was it was a completely different level. Obviously, I mean the the chaining himself, the rumors that he was going to chain himself to the goalpost at the Super Bowl. I mean it was just a level that you know no one has he, ever tried since. He was thinking so big picture, and like anything like that came along that happened to be an opportunity. Uh, for him to kind of manipulate the situation so that he could actually again all the guys are in one place when everyone's the nappy convention the nappy convention same thing you know and it's like what are these little opportunities and again he's just he had been on such you know the rochelle death that we'd mentioned uh, in passing previously the escapism issue of this is kind of a fascinating sidebar to this story because kim wood when kim's saying okay you want to be a con man then this is what you need to read. This is what you need to watch. This is what you need to, to study. And Brian went into all of that. He was reading books, watching movies that were to do with con man culture, con, you know, con man psychology, the history of cons and, and, and some of the big plays that used to be done. And so he's like engaging his brain 24 seven in any opportunity that comes up. I need to be the one who's a step ahead of everybody and thinking about how at all times I can advance my end game for what I'm trying to do right now. So when you get this thing where Brian Pillman isn't just taking a picture of Vincent Mann at the Napty convention, which is with, with him hugging him, which is hilarious and great. He's immediately sending, he's immediately faxing it to Wade Keller and Dave Meltzer. So that again, in, in Kim's words, we will provide the pearls. They have to provide the string and they can, they can figure out what's kind of going on on their own, but we are going to be the ones we're going to take the play to them, which is a, it was a, a Buzz Sawyer story dating back to 1989 <laughs> in Japan, which, um, when I don't know if you, it's in the book, but it's a, it's a story when when Buzz Sawyer kind of accidentally teaches Brian about working people essentially and being and kind of half being in character, and it, you know, it goes it's like a taxi. They, they get a taxi in Japan, and Buzz Sawyer is like Brian. Here in Japan, you need to be really nice to all the Japanese people, especially the drivers, the cab drivers, because they can screw with you if you don't. And then they get in the car together, and Buzz Sawyer immediately starts cutting this promo on the on the cab driver just to pop Brian, talk about you motherfucker, take me. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, and it's just like, and he goes, and Kim Wood was like, I think that really taught Brian something in the sense that you take the play to them, you you let them be reactionary, you act first, let them react to you, and then you're reacting to them, reacting to you, and that that kind of allows Brian to steer the ship. That's a, that's amazing. Okay, so let, let's bring it back full circle. I I mentioned this double or nothing situation where there was some chaos involved and MJF skips the fan uh, autograph signing, the meet and greet. And we were there and we were trying to figure out what was going on. Was this real? Did he really skip it to, to kind of shove it to, to Tony Khan or was Tony Khan in on this of trying to make it seem like MJF was you know, possibly leaving or frustrated. And then there's this plane ticket that supposedly existed or, <laughs> or not. Uh, and whether he was leaving right after the match, he Wardlow beats him really, really quickly, not, not quickly, but really decisively. And Wardlow's like on top of the world and MJF is just, all right, guys, see you later. And so all of this was kind of, I think it, they wanted it to be a little bit out of the, the Pillman playbook, but can't, you can't do that today because there are so many people who are in instantly calling work on every possible thing that you could do. Like, is there a possibility that someone could, could do something like that today? You think Liam? I think it's interesting that you say that in that way, because I actually think in, even though your point is, is noted and it is correct. 
at the same time, I think it's also never been easier to manipulate this media in the sense that there is such an assumption of knowledge now based yes. on the things that you see and absorb from the main players when it comes to reporting stuff. And we've seen it before when if people say something, it's very easy for it to get around. I mean, there, there have been instances, again, I'm, I'm not trying to like throw anybody in the bus or, or mention any names, but like even in recent weeks where somebody will say there's a story here and as it turns out, there, there really isn't a story. Right. But just having that story out there in fans' minds, it's, it's, easy to, it's not necessarily easy to convince them to your point, Garrett, and I do think that's correct. But it's easier to float things out there than it's ever. I think been. so. I think you're. I think you're right, Kyle. You do a podcast, wrestling podcast. Yep. You yep. hear stuff. People tell you stuff. Like, do you agree with what Liam said? So I think the important thing to understand is, as my daughter was being very sneaky there and tiptoeing by me, I'll, <laughs> play with I'll have a talking to her later. But um, what Pillman did, and, and Liam would agree with this, his ultimate goal was just to get more money. He wasn't yep. trying to draw money for WWF or WCW. He's just trying to get more money for himself. M- and MJF's I, reason too, right? To yes, do whatever he's doing. Yes, and that and that's the key. If you're the promoter, it's actually I don't want to say it's pointless, but maybe it is to like do this with one your guy because it it's never been shown to necessarily draw money for a promotion. It might help raise the stock for the individual who's doing it. Like if you're MJF and you're just looking to get more money, then okay, sure, try it, do it. Get out with your bad self. But I think that's got to be something that all current wrestlers who try to emulate Pillman, whether they're doing conscious or not, need to understand. You're not really going to draw money for the promotion. If you're trying to draw money for yourself contract-wise, okay, you could try it. But it's it's never been a real winner at the box office promotion-wise. But we are back in an era where leverage and free agency yes. is important again. And so you have, you know, if MJF is looking at WWE or whatever, you know, three or four years ago, he's probably not on the radar at all because of his size, because, you know, he's not really super well known. But now, four years later, he's definitely on their radar. So he has raised his worth and his value like two or three times that what it, what it would have been without yeah the way that he's gone yeah. about it so far. So it's really smart. Yeah. I just wonder, is, is is this a situation where he can do this a, a, in the same way, or do we believe that it's him and Tony Khan? Because that's what I believe is it's him and Tony oh, Khan. Oh, yeah. I, I, okay, so I think Tony was certainly working in concert with him, but he, here's the thing, to my point, I wonder if you guys agree. First of all, I think MGF probably got it sweet deal already and he's probably already benefited financially personally from what he was doing but i don't think it necessarily benefited AEW on screen i actually it, thought it killed it, their business i thought it was the start of something that um really needs to be talked about when you talk about AEW over the last 12 months when mjf went out there and he cut that promo on tony and called him a mark and stuff that was the first time that AEW did not come across as the babyface promotion to yep. me and, and and that's where as i think as a promoter Tony trying to bring that drama on screen. It was a mistake and it was very needless from, from his perspective. If MJF has already been compensated and has gotten a, a, a nice contract for himself, then okay, he did what he needed to do for himself. But I don't think that angle benefited AEW in any way. As a matter of fact, I think it actually hurt the promotion in multiple ways. It hurt Wardlow. Wardlow, Wardlow last yeah. night uh, at Revolution was asked, 
about his his mm. lack of he he was dead to this crowd last night. Now they were well, that was, it was a tough spot. Yeah, tough spot, tough spot for sure. But the crowd was more into Samoa Joe, uh, and you know I go back to that double or nothing show and he's over like gangbusters to last night. And I was like, this is like a, it's a different human almost well, in the reaction. Well, it, it, it it's the vintage Hogan thing, right? Liam. It's like uh, with MGF, I'm going to lose, but I'm going to make it all about myself. On the story. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, having said that though, having said that just, to, just to, on that point, because I, I do think that there is as much as that may be a factor. I actually think, cause when that match was over, and they showed a little bit the thing on the wall wardlow is all elite everybody went crazy like it was real so yeah, it's like yeah. uh, yeah, it's like okay well I, I, to some degree this still works i honestly think even though wardlow's big moment did end up becoming about mjf to some degree to some people i actually think far more damaging to wardlow personally was the fact they had nothing to follow it up with they the tnt title thing with scorpio sky was yeah and, and when he was tnt champion he was doing like nothing for weeks of any note and that flattened him out huge because when you're a guy like wardlow and this isn't meant to, to knock him because i think he's talented but like his entire momentum was built around the push it's the it's the it's the it's the, it's yes. the monster heel it's the turn on mjf it's like if batista turns on triple h and then he starts working with like snitsky or something like that and, 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 yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. And, yes and, and if, do business if you, with jbl and if you give dave batista a, a catchphrase uh, that sounds a little bit like Elmo's world instead yeah. of, uh, you know, la, 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 Wardlow's world. <laughs> like, that was terrible. Can you? Yeah. I, well, I, just, I, I was just. I, it's a different podcast for a different day. I actually think Wardlow is not someone who I would have, like, holding a singles title. I actually just don't think that's the right role for him, personally, even if he, even if he was really over. I, I, but to bring it back to the Pillman-MJF discussion, I, I just think that and make it about AEW in the modern sense. I just thought when they had MJF cut that promo call and Tony and Mark and yeah, making Tony absolutely. sound dumb and bad, I thought that was bad. I, I thought that was something it should not have done. And what was the what what was that leading to? It was leading to this fake Vince McMahon, Bret Hart scenario where MJF has got him on tape saying, okay, you know, you got me, whatever, here's your contract. That, that payoff was not worth no. what they did. Like I think in Tony's mind, it was probably this great, cool story for the hardcore fan, but it just made it look like, uh, you know, the 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 end result, and you know, the CM Punk thing, like all that stuff. That, that but this, this kind of this kind of got it started, and then it just cascaded from from there with a bunch of things that should have probably been controllable, but ultimately were didn't. I guess they weren't controllable. The, yeah, the, the, there is an alternate universe out there somewhere where if CM Punk doesn't get injured and doesn't fly off the handle, I wonder what MJF's value would be right now. Because when he came back, they that crowd did treat him like he was an absolute superstar. Yeah. And the fact that like in the fallout of what happened that evening, the company felt quite flat for a couple of months as they try and regain their footing and MJF's the face of a flat flatter company, yeah. that that like it, it undid the work they did anyway so even if it did work which we don't know that it would have but even if it had done it wouldn't have in that scenario anyway but guys this is fascinating um the pillman story still has a lot to be told in in 96 at some point if you guys have an open schedule would love uh, i would love to discuss the, the the rest of of this and <laughs> 
and go for it. <laughs> Just one final question. Did Shane Douglas ruin this all, Liam, when he said he's shooting at Cyberslam? He's shooting. He's shooting. <laughs> <laughs> was, that what, was that what everybody figured it out? <laughs> well, no. The thing, the thing that, like, tip melts her off was the Sullivan promo on Saturday night, uh, the, right? The pencil, right? Yeah. The pencil, pencil one where there's, yeah, like, an yeah, intent yeah, 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 promo yeah. where Sullivan holds the pencil to the camera and breaks it, and he's like, now we got that out of the way. Like, uh, you want to you be a free agent? You come to... You know, yeah, because people not make you a free agent, and Dave's like, "Well, fuck! Like, <laughs> <laughs> who are we getting now?" Like, yeah, yeah. amazing, Jesus. awesome. No, I, I I love this stuff. Um, and uh, we'll we'll put the and Liam has sold a bunch of copies of this, but if anybody does not have this book, like this is a this is one of your must read pro wrestling books uh, of all pro wrestling books, and honestly, I'm trying to think now. There have been some good books that have come out. I haven't read the Sheik one. I know that one has is people love that book, but I'm not sure there's been a as good of a one since yours ha, has come out. Oh, thank uh, you. You know, some of the JR stuff is fun, but it's just JR. You know, like just just the actual research and the dedication and all that stuff. So uh, I, I really, I really, really love this book. An Observer Award winning book. Dave yeah, called right. it the best one he'd ever read. There you go. Yeah, checks in the mail. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.